Welcome to the Specify Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Tats Nakagawa of Castagra Products. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and construction industry. Today's guest is Mike Brewer. He's the COO at Radcom. Right, Mike. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I truly appreciate it. Yeah. So uh, Adrian connected us, and you know, I've I've seen all your social media stuff online. Have you been at social media a lot? Yeah. So the origin story is that back when MySpace was a thing, if if you can recall back that far, <laughs> yeah, I started uh, started writing a blog. It was called Mike Brewer on Stuff and Things. And my very first blog post was about a solar powered trash compacting machine that you sat on a street. <laughs> and uh, yeah, from that moment on, so that was a blog. And, and back then, people didn't even know what a blog was. They thought it was like you were clearing your throat and that was the leftover product in your mouth. That was like what a blog was. But um, so I writed, started writing the blog in 2005, 2006, wow. just pers- personally. And then I started writing a blog for the properties that we were managing at the time at Equity Residential. And we started to see that that blog content was actually helping us boost our kind of page one results on Google. And so that was the rest was history. I started doing tons of blogs. And then that segue to video at some point, like 2005, 2006, I saw video was going to be a huge thing. So I started doing the daily blog and and I have been doing that ever since. So, wow, that's awesome because it, you know, it's not common for someone in your position, like an operating position to also be active. So I was very, very curious when it started. Yeah. Yeah. It was a very long time ago. And every time a new, let's call it a distribution system like Twitter or Facebook, or I saw those more as distribution systems than really like social networks. They were like just places to put content and advertise for free most of the time. So every time something would come along, we would just, we would, we would become a practitioner of it to, to, I say we, it was me doing all of it, but, but I like to say we, like a huge team. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. No, I, I love that. I mean, like you've been in property management for a long time. Like, did you do some side things? Because, you know, not because you're so curious on the technology side all the time. Were you, were you sort of doing side things or something? Yeah. So for, for my entire life, I, I won't bore you with all of these things, but when I was in eighth, ninth or 10th grade, I, I got the idea that I wanted to start a car stereo shop. So I started selling like woofers and tweeters and head units to my friends at school. Then that segued into a landscaping business. So I started like cutting grass and uh, that kind of thing. I actually built that into a pretty big business and then started, I opened a baseball card shop when I was in college. We never got into comics. It was mostly just baseball cards and that kind of stuff. So I think my entire life, I've always had some sort of side hustle going on. So I'm going to school, but I'm like doing this thing. And then I get into the multifamily space, and but I'm writing a blog and doing all that kind of stuff also. And yeah, I don't I don't like to sit still, I guess. <laughs> that's my problem. <laughs> so, you know, you have all these interests. You, you're, you know, I, I saw you commenting on OpenAI and all these things. How's that translating to your day to day? Because you're an executive. It's a, you know, fairly established organization. How does your interest there translate to what you do? Yeah. So, I think any of that technology that I've become a personal practitioner of, I think that it it segues quite nicely into our business because. 
sometimes you don't want to necessarily introduce a piece of technology or a platform or something of that nature into an ecosystem that's well established to use your words without cutting your teeth on it a little bit. And so mm. I, think, <laughs> I think where it's been useful is that because I have such a curiosity about it, I I go out and really practice the using the craft by doing a lot of participation, a lot of trying to break the system. <laughs> and, uh, and then that way, when we do try to bring those things into our organization, we at least have a working understanding of the way it might help us. Yeah, so I think it's it's worked quite nicely for us most of the time. I'm sure there have been some duds along the way, and I've compartmentalized them back. <laughs> well, I think that's what you do. You go in, and you're the uh, you're the test case. And if it doesn't work, you don't you know you don't tell people about it. If it works, then you have your you probably have some early adopters that are curious about what you're doing, and then they permeate through your organization. I think that's a fair statement. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so tell me how your business works. Like, uh, you have an investment side, you have a property management side. How does that all kind of fit together? Yeah, that's a it's a great question. So, our organization is called the Radco Companies, and then it's it's bifurcated into, to your point, a an investment shop, and then also on the other side is an operating company. So we buy and sell. Uh, primarily multifamily assets. So A, B, and C class assets, some value add, some kind of just stabilized uh, core assets. And then we buy class A luxury properties. That's what we've been buying as, as of late. So we buy them on the investment side of our house, and then we flip them over to the operating side of our house. And then we have a whole team that that runs the day-to-day business of a multifamily apartment communities. We also have a construction division that's under the RAGCO residential side, which is the operating arm. It does our value add piece. So we do unit renovations or heavier CapEx projects, roof replacements, window replacements, rehabbing or renovating uh, common area spaces like playgrounds, dog parks, uh, clubhouses, et cetera. We have a team that that does that. And we don't do all of that work. We just kind of do the general contracting piece and hiring vendors to come in and actually do that kind of work. Mm. And then in the last 12 months plus minus, we are actually started buying hotels we don't manage hotels. We just buy the hotels and hold them as investments. And, and then there's a whole world out there that does hotel management, which we have no desire to get into. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so all your activity seems to be driven by the investment side. Is that correct? Yes. I think so. Our founder and CEO, Norman Norman Radow, is, he is an entrepreneur through and through. And, and so... The investment side of our shop has just been in his DNA since uh, starting the company like 28 years ago, plus minus. His very first project was renovating the Four Seasons Hotel in downtown uh, downtown Atlanta. And from that moment on, he just had the real estate bug and and uh, definitely is driven by making the investments, beautifying the properties, making them safe and sound and creating incredible experiences for the consumer, for the residents that live there or the people that, that come in and out of the buildings that we that we own. And then at some point, running them to plan and then exiting those, obviously on behalf of our, our investor base. But yeah, that's that really is what drives our business is the investment side. So it seems like there's there's twofold on the investment side is attracting investments and then finding the the qualified properties and and putting those together. Is that kind of your core competencies of your organization? I would say that is 100% true. I I will say that we've been in large part uh, friends and family investment shops. So most of those funds that are raised are from 
literally dentists and doctors and and just individuals like yourself or myself. And with a, f- a few kind of bigger investments by bigger shops or more organized investment shops, we haven't ventured into the, you know, the raising a fund world yet. <laughs> but yeah, most of that has been built, uh, built kind of friends and family style. Yeah. And then the social media piece, how does that interact? Is it just the, the opportunity flow? Because it doesn't seem like you really open up the investment side. You're very careful with that. So is that just more the the property acquisition side? Yeah. So I think for the longest time, there were rules against selling and, and you know using social media to sort of try to raise funds from people because it's a regulated business. You have to be a, a credit investor. I think that loosened up several years ago, but I think uh, there was a little bit of like a hesitation on our part to actually go out and try to raise funds those ways. However, we already had a very large investor base, so we didn't really have to do that. I think where social media has really made an impact for our organization is more on the human side, attracting people to the organization that want to work in this. What doesn't, I mean, it looks very high energy and very fun and those sorts of things out on social media. And, and that's because it is. And so we, it's been it's been really helpful to us and useful to us to tell that story by way of social media to attract talent to the organization. Got it. So in terms of, you know, you piloting the next series of technologies, what has your interest? Oh, wow. This is a- <laughs> Did I open something? <laughs> oh, wow. I, I really, yeah, I had to be careful with this because it's, I tended to think very quixotically and I think, you know, I, I this is not a pat me on the back sort of thing, but sometimes I'm dreaming ahead of the technology's capabilities, you know? And so <laughs> I, I do think there is a day where certainly open AI, and I know we're in the very early innings and making application of open AI could be very dangerous just as much as it can be useful. <clears throat> but I do think there is, there is a day that is coming that is really soon. It's, let's say it's right around the bend that you could actually uh, create business system architecture uh, using an open AI platform such that you could create platforms that actually govern your business. Like a bot might be a good example. So the day when when open AI actually opens up data sets where that I can take my internal private data and I can commingle it or merge it with open AI data that's that is structured certainly, that is scrubbed certainly, when I can put those two things together, I think that I can actually offer up sort of a bot-like experience that rivals the hiring a third party to do that, even to the extent of writing the code at the bot, right? You could... Are you speaking of like governance or what are you talking about? Like customer and consumer interaction or leasing and sales or marketing and branding and internal learning and development and teaching and training, right? If I have an AI co-pilot right here, if I run up against something like right now, you're interviewing me, you ask me a question. I don't know the answer to it. Maybe I tell the, the you just, I was just asked this question where you, oh yeah, that's a good answer. Hey, <laughs> you know, yeah, I can't make this interview. Can you please sub in? <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh, I'm stumped. You take over. <laughs> But I think in a learning and development, you know, like real time, if I'm trying to fix something and or I'm trying to interact with the consumer, if I had an AI co-pilot, if I get stumped, I don't want the consumer to have a bad experience. So I could actually have these AI assistants that are predicting in some ways what you're trying to get at and then articulating it to me in a way that I understand. And then I me re-articulating that to you and or the bot might say it back to you, you know, who knows? But I think the... 
I think the battle of the future is going to be the battle of the imagination and the creatives, right? And, mm. and you, you've got, in my head, you need to have people who are very imaginative, very creative, and understand how to tie business outcomes to process. And those people are going to create the architectures and business models in the future. And that, that future, by the way, is not too far away. <laughs> mm. Which type of organizations are, I don't know, people you look to for inspiration? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And this this might be a I don't know if it's a weird answer or not, but Kroger, the grocery store, Kroger, really is like leaps and bounds ahead of people in these in these respects. They're they're using huge data sets and architecture and blending models together for supply, right? And uh, supply chain type stuff and inventory management and even labor distribution. And I so Kroger. Somewhere in the world, someone sets and they set the temperature of every single Kroger store across the country in one command center, right? And they don't even touch it. It's like it's all governed by the sensors and the ambient temperatures in the buildings. And so it's they're so far advanced. You wouldn't think about a grocery store in that way, but I look to them. I, Amazon, certainly. I'm, I'm very fascinated by the idea that you can click a button, but there's probably like 2 million things ha that happen behind that click. <laughs> that are disappeared from the consumer experience. But I, I looked at them for inspiration, certainly the Apples and the Googles of the world. They're working on interesting stuff all of the time. Yeah. What about like the, within property management and construction? What, what are things that, that have caught your attention? I think there's a company, UDR is the, the name of the organization. I think they're, I was listening to their earnings call a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was last week. And I was surprised to learn that they are on the path this year to have 40% of their apartment communities run humanless. <laughs> so no one on the property, right? Yet residents live there, like hundreds of people live in these buildings. There's no one there, but all the stuff that is necessary, like move-ins, move-outs, elevators not working, my toilet is plugged, all that stuff happens. It still happens. They still get like high marks in customer service without a human being there. Yeah, right? walk me through the the tenant experience. Like what what are the, some of the things that they were showcasing? So I think a lot of this was accelerated by the pandemic, right? Yeah. So self-tour, right? So if I have smart home technology and a lock on my door, but I'm a consumer, I wanna go look at an apartment, because it's all smart technology, I can give you a code, you can enter the building, I can show you a path, like maybe it's maybe it's a human insisted, assisted, but I'm not at the property, but we're doing a little FaceTime thing, right? I can guide you through the building to the apartment that you're going to look at. You've got a code, you walk in, you tour yourself, and then you can, on the heels of that, you receive an email that has a link that gets you an online application that you can fill in. I take a picture of your face to verify who you are. So there's some, some checkpoints along the way that verify your identification, verify your income and things we do on the front side of a lease. Do all that, you hit submit, we qualify you, then we send you a lease contract, which is pretty much filled in. You can sign that electronically, you can move into the building. I give you a code to your front door and no human is involved in that, right? That's probably the easiest example for, for uh, what, they, what they're showcasing. And there are other, companies, but they just happen to be the one that comes to mind for me. Yeah. Now, you know, you, you started out, uh, it looks like on the district manager side, and you kind of moved up, you know, vice president and now uh, COO. What sort of things have you learned in that process? Because I mean, 
I think larger responsibility, larger teams. You know, what, what are some of the skill sets that you learned that that have helped you along the way? Oh well, I've learned a lot. I I make literally thousands of mistakes every year. I, I I'm, I'm kind of the. I learned early on in my career that it's it's kind of I don't know who coined this term, but fail forward fast, right? And look at every failure is not a failure, but a learning opportunity. And I literally, I don't have it with me, but I have a journal, a journal. I've been journaling for like 25 years. At the end of every day, I ask myself the question, what did I learn today? Right. Mm-hmm. And I literally pencil out, pencil out the question and I pencil out the answer to that question. So every year I'm collecting like 365 things. Now I make a lot more mistakes than this, but 365 things that I did, I didn't do well. Right. <laughs> so I learned. And so I guess that in and of itself is just treat failure like a lesson embrace it for education not for oh gosh woe is me right it's it's like a way to get better with like a super fast feedback loop right yeah so you're asking yourself that question every day what are some of your most memorable learnings oh wow so the one that comes to mind always when people ask me this question is so one time i had a regional manager that was coming to visit my property And I sat down with my team and I created a list of like 50 things that we needed to accomplish before she got there, which was like 72 hours later. Maybe it was next week, but I'm for for exaggeration's sake, it was not very long. And I assigned people all these projects and I'm like, go get it done, you know? And long story short, we put way too much on that list. People were not as thrilled about it as I was. (laughs) My property manager and my regional manager, I mean, uh, regional and district manager show up to tour the property. It's a disaster. It's terrible. I learned a lot. The district manager writes me a letter after the visit and says, all the good intentions in the world are worth nothing unless followed through with, right? (laughs) So that is probably the biggest lesson I ever learned because I was embarrassed. My dignity was impacted, all of those things. Right. But the way she wrote that letter was with such grace. So I learned follow through. Don't, don't say it unless you can do it. But I also learned how to be graceful when counseling someone, because the way she handled me was so great. And I've taken that lesson away too. So you got to treat people with grace, especially when they're down. (laughs) Yeah. For sure. So, you know, writing down your learnings every day is not something I hear from everyone. Are there other things or uh, interesting practices that other people point out that's unique to you or uh, that's worked over the years? So I'm, I'm very disciplined. And a lot of times people rail against discipline, but I think discipline really allows you to be freer in your life if you can put certain routines in place. So people are People have walked away sometimes in employed things in their own life as using inspiration for me sometimes. That that sounds weird to say. I don't like the way that sounds, but <laughs> like I exercise is really big to me. Eating right is really big to me. I journal every day. I talk about that all the time. I read probably 50 to 65 books every year. How do you choose those books? mostly by way of recommendation by people that I trust that have read the book and actually taken something away from it. I don't, I'm not buying the Amazon recommends this to you. (laughs) What do you mean? You don't listen to bots? (laughs) Uh, No, not in that case. (laughs) I'm sure I do in lots of other cases, but (laughs) no, I, I will only buy a book if somebody that I truly 
have a great deal of respect for recommends it to me. And yeah. that could be somebody I don't know necessarily. Like Tim Ferriss is somebody I follow on, uh, I listen to his podcast almost religiously. And if he recommends a book and I'll go and read about it on based on his recommendation and I'll buy those a lot of times. But It sounds like, you know, you have a, a, a sort of a, a very, um, planned out routine because yeah. if you're reading one book a week you're running a larger organization you're journaling you're doing all these things i assume you travel consistently yeah. then yeah yeah so which which probably means you're you're stacking some of these things together right yeah that that's very fair i also get up at 4 30 every morning so mm. from 4 30 to 8 30 i call it prime time it, i literally mm. write it right here Prime time. <laughs> so well, what happens in prime time? So I wake up, I drink 32 ounces of water. I run three to five miles. I do the 10 pages of reading. I do meditation. I read my Bible. I journal. I, I write four blog posts. I'm sorry. I'm writing a book. I write four of the entries for the book. And then I write two blog posts Wow. Um, and then I drink a really nutritious shake before I take a shower and come to work. <laughs> Two blog posts, you know, reading a book, a full action. So, wow, that's uh, that's amazing. And how long have you been doing that for? It sounds like a consistent routine. Yeah. So the, the routine actually gets very based on goals that I have. So writing a book this year was one of my goals. Wow. So I'm actually done with the book as of yesterday. So that's going to come off the list, but I'll insert something else into that slot, if you will. But yeah, the routine has been going on for probably the better part of seven or eight years now, but probably longer than that with a sort of condensed version of it. The older I get, it seems like that routine gets more and more packed on the front side. (laughs) Prime time becomes the whole day, right? (laughs) I was like... What is this? Just like our prime time is now like three hours. That's weird. <laughs> Where's Mike? Yeah, he's up at three. Yeah. Like, oh, I gotta get that. I gotta get that. I gotta stop setting such ambitious goals. I think is my problem. Give me a summary of your book. I mean, obviously, when you start a book, you know, there's there's a premise. So, what what got you really excited? Do you know the thing I'm. So the book is actually one of those daily readers. So you open it up to January. Well, what is today? February 17th, you would open this book to that date and you would read something about that. So because I've read so many books over the last like 25 years and I keep these, I don't have any handy, but I keep two by five index cards with me all the time and a black Sharpie. So every time I read a book, if something really strikes me, I write that on a three by five and I have this big box at home that's just full of three by five index cards. And so I thought, and I read Ryan Holiday's like Daily Stoic book. And I thought, I want to do that. I want to have my own book. And I have all these cards that I've collected for, for what reason? I don't know. Oh, it's probably to write a book. So I just pulled all those cards out and just started writing these daily entries from that. So that's the book. <laughs> that's great. So I can I, I can always already visualize the, uh, the the social media campaign. You publish those cards. <laughs> yes. 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 I'll, like, give them the away. link to your, you know, to t- free four chapters. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> there exactly. you go. You got content for years. <laughs> Sign up and buy 20 books, and I'll give you like 10 of these cards and I'll I'll autograph them. <laughs> there you go. Is there anything I didn't ask you about that you want to cover? No, this has been fun. I 
it's interesting. I usually sit on the other side of these conversations. I have my own podcast. I guess that's the other thing I do. I, I have a podcast. And being on this side is is like foreign territory for me. So I hope it's valuable to your uh, to your audience. <laughs> uh, it's been fun. So uh, Mike, thanks for sharing. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Specify Growth Podcast today. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash Tats Talks for video of today's podcast. Hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.